everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am half of the usuals on the show. My name is Jeff. The other half that is not doing emergency scorekeeping duty today is Mark <laughs> A. Johnson. Mark, I'm glad you could be here today. Oh, boy, me too. Uh, I, uh, As you mentioned, we had some emergency scoreboarding the other day, and uh, I had to come through or, or let the whole team down, so... Hopefully I did a, a good enough job. I'm still trying to keep within uh, phone calls distance of, of the ballpark just in case, you know, an emergency happens again. The, the uh, scoreboard light signal went up in the, it's like That's the right. bat signal. It's and like you had to signal. answer. That's right. And I was like, uh-oh. Not something you think of that there are scoreboard emergencies, but there are. And, there are. Uh, yeah. I have been involved in, in many and you were yes. yesterday, so... <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the show. We got a lot. It is. uh, These are always popular when we do these tales from the dugout. A bunch of just smaller stories that don't warrant an entire episode. So we've got a lot of uh, things we want to talk about. But before we get into that, as always, we want to warm up because we're old. We don't want to pull anything more than usual, I guess I should say. So let's get into some BP. Uh, Before we get into the thing, the big historical thing that happened. This last week, I want to talk about Mark. Remember when the when the season's finally all right, we're going to go. We're going to start spring training. Here are some rule changes. And there was a lot of people complaining. And I'm I, I wrote, quote, unquote, baseball fans this year. They were complaining about the universal DH, which is new this year. And yes. Certain a certain portion of fans reminisced about growing up watching pitchers take three pitches down the middle without taking the bat off their shoulder and then walking back to the dugout or fouling off three pitches trying to get a bunt down a bunch of (laughs) I hate it. Where are these fans now? Because I have heard no one complaining about the Universal DH since the season started. No, it kind of made things uh, a little more fun. Yeah, it really (laughs) it, it what's weird is I was playing I was playing MLB the show. In fact, just earlier today, and uh, I was doing one of these, uh, you know, they put you in a certain historical situation, but this one was from this year and my pitcher was batting and I'm like, what the heck is going on? This is weird. (laughs) But yeah, no complaints about the universal DH. All right. Uh, You know, nowhere here on this podcast, we told everyone it's going to be great. And it has been. Uh, Are the games less exciting now? I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's curious with with so many old curmudgeon-y takes about baseball being bantered about social media these days. Where did the, the Universal DH go? Everyone seems to be okay with it at this point. Hang on, uh, Jeff. I got to uh, put some time here in my schedule to answer all the emails we're going to get regarding the subject. Okay, I'm good now. Thank you. It'll be zero. Nobody <laughs> misses it. Nobody, except for Zach Greinke. You know, it. there you go. We did do an episode on the downfall of pitchers hitting and where it's gone, you know, from where it used to be to where it is now and and how it's really become just absolutely a, a, it was so minor of a part of the offensive game that it just made sense. I mean, at least in my opinion, and I believe in yours too. Yeah. It's just, you've got baseball fans that do not like change, despite the fact baseball has changed since the very first year it was ever played. Yeah. I, too, had to walk to school both ways uphill in the snow with no shoes on. So I know how that goes. Yeah. Hey, I'm up for anything as long as they don't start putting a runner on second base and in extra innings. That, that's just silly. Yeah, that'll that be the happen, end of though. it. We will stop watching baseball at that point. 
Uh, well, speaking of that, Mark, it was weird. There was a double header yesterday, and they played nine innings both games, which is yeah. it, it literally did. I had to look at it twice. Uh, but yeah, they are back to to full games for double headers, which is a good step. The big thing, the most historical thing, and this really is a big thing that happened oh, yes. in the last week, is Miguel Cabrera. Absolutely. Became one of only seven players to have 500-plus career home runs and 3,000-plus career hits. Miggy is a member of this elite club, and he did it with the fewest number of games needed to join the club. It took him only 2,601 games to reach the mark, while the second shortest was A-Rod with 2,784. So 183 games, that's more than a season, less it took Miggy to get that that mark. That's amazing. That is pretty impressive. And looking at this, these numbers obviously are considered automatic first ballot Hall of Fame numbers, right? I mean, that many hits and home runs, only seven players in the whole history of the game have done it. For Albert Pujols, he's going to be a first ballot. Miggy is obviously a first ballot as well. But two members of this elite club of seven are not in the hall and and probably won't be at any point in the near future in A-Rod and Rafael Palmero. Yeah, I noticed that when I was looking at the the list, I went, well, you know, it used to be, hey, this is automatic induction, but not necessarily. Uh, Just looking at these numbers, these are some incredible numbers. Miguel Cabrera out of that entire group has the highest career on base percentage. Wow. Out of that group. Batting average wise, he also has the highest with a career 310 batting average. Yeah, man, he's he is amazing. Think about these, you know, the last how long has he been playing since? Uh, gosh, was he was the Marlins? He, was a, he was a rookie in 2003. Okay, so a long time. 19 years, he, yeah. Yeah, and he's still hitting over 300. That is darn impressive. And you know, he's not beating out any infield singles. These are all legitimate yeah, hits. This is, this is a good point. Just uh, some incredible numbers for Miguel Cabrera, and you know, if, from what I can tell, he's uh, he's a pretty well liked guy. I'm 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 a big fan of Miguel Cabrera. Good for yeah, him. me too. I think he's I think he's uh, absolutely fantastic and fun to watch. Unless he's playing against my team, yeah, then he's just a pain. But one of the games I was watching yesterday said that they're not even sure that the next player to get three thousand hits is in the big leagues yet. Wow, and that's an interesting thought. I mean, Mike, there's Mike Trout, but he can't stay healthy. It seems. Sure. I legitimately don't think Mike Trout's going to get 3,000 hits. I was thinking maybe Juan Soto. Sure, yeah. He's young enough. He's he's talented enough. Somebody, uh, maybe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I don't know. I don't know if, what kind of career he's going to have. If he's going to hit more home runs than, than hit for average. But then you look at Miguel Cabrera and what he's done. All right, so it is time now uh, for our weekly Lars Newtbar update. I know I was texting you this week about Lars Newtbar. That's right. Because I was, I was watching a game, a Cardinal game for some reason. I, they must have been playing somebody I was interested in. Shade. That was shade at the Cardinals. I apologize for that. <laughs> but uh, Lars came up and got his first hit of the season, and I was witness to it. Very exciting stuff. At the time of this recording, Lars, like I said, finally off the snide, currently clocking in with a 125 average, nine strikeouts in nine plate appearances, and a 17 OPS plus. Well, you know, it's everybody's got to start somewhere. 
Yeah, it's well, you know, he started off like a like a ball of fire last year and then came back down to earth at the end of the year. And he is starting <laughs> back down on earth this year for sure. We'll see. Yes, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We might need to switch to to a mile straw update instead of Lars Newtbar, <laughs> because I think mile straw has become a, a favorite of all non-Yankee fans worldwide uh, recently. <laughs> All right, uh, debuts this week. This show is debut on April 26th. We got a couple of debuts I want to talk about. This first one, I'm just going to give you the name because I was going to just do the usual debut with him, but I found out some stuff that I really wanted to talk about. So I'm going to move. I'm just going to tell you that A.D. Joss, Hall of Famer, debuted today in 1902. But I'm going to hold off telling you anything else about him until we get into the tales section of this of this uh, episode because there's some things I want to talk about uh, about Mr. Addy Joss so uh, we'll skip that for right now also making his debut today in 1974 Mario Mendoza Mendoza (laughs) the one and only well now now we are not talking about the Guatemalan Olympic boxer nor the Belizean Olympic weightlifter but rather oh. the Mexican baseball player and member of the Mexican League Hall of Fame, Mario Mendoza. I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, I just want to... <laughs> this is a... Uh, this often breaks down into a boxing and weightlifting podcast, but yes. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, of course, the Mendoza line, we've talked about it many times, supposedly coined by George Brett, but other sources say that it was actually created earlier by Bruce Bakhti and Tom Pachorek when they were all on the Mariners, of course, because that's where everything goes down. Nicknamed Manos de Sada, or Hands of Silk, he was known as a great fielder, but he's kind of the all-glove, no-stick kind of guy, right? Right. We've talked about his career lifetime averages actually two, was it 220 or 219, but it is not 200. But uh, he did pitch also while in the big leagues. He pitched two innings in the uh, back of a doubleheader in 1977. His career ERA is 13.50, but he did get Keith Hernandez to line into a double play. Well, there's that. There's that, yes. (laughs) Uh, Also making debuts today on April 26th. Today in 1995, tanning bed enthusiast Marty Cordova made his big league debut. With the with the twins, I I remember watching him when he was with the Salt Lake Buzz, and then got called up. Uh, also, I'm not sure if we've talked about this or not, but this is a, a story about Marty Cordova. Other than burning himself on the tanning bed after retiring, he flew to Canada without a passport. Despite having played for the Blue Jays, he claimed he was unaware that Canada was not in the United States. <laughs> this, I mean, it kind of fits along with a guy that. Missed games because he got burnt falling asleep on a tanning pad. Marty Cordova. That's like claiming Japan is communist or something like that. (laughs) That is, by the way, folks, that's a good joke. That is a two-strike noise inside joke that we are never going to. (laughs) Nobody nobody else is going to hear the end of that. But just know that that was good comedy there by Mark. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Also making debuts today in 1995, some good names. Ray Durham. Bobby Higginson, Michael Tucker, and Troy Percival. Nice. All made their debuts. None of these players, however, ever appeared in an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Here's another thing. We're going to bump this down to uh, to when we get down into tales. I want to talk about Sabrina the Teenage Witch in baseball. Just a short thing, but we I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to 
derail the uh, the debut segment here. My final one happened just a couple of years ago in 2019. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who we've mm. already talked about in the episode today, he made his debut, and I mm. think he's good. Yeah, I think he's. I think. Do you think he is going to when his career is over? Will he have a better career, or will his father have a better career? I guess would be the. It's going to depend, I think, on how you measure it. And Junior has a bit of a better eye than Dad, but Dad could hit. It didn't matter because he could hit anything anyway. Remember the time somebody skipped a pitch up to him and he hit it for a home run? <laughs> he, he was ridiculous the way he could hit just absolutely anything. Yeah, and he did not walk. That is, nope. <laughs> unless, you, unless you intentionally walk him, you have to work to walk him. Uh, something about his father, though, that I did not know. In 2012, it was revealed that uh, during a paternity suit, Vladimir Sr. has eight children from five different women, which mm. puts him in the running, along with Steve Garvey and Paul Molitor, for the most fertile player in, <laughs> in baseball history. <laughs> well, it could be a number of uh, little Vlad Juniors hitting home runs here sometimes. Yeah, soon. I don't know. This is something that, unfortunately, you know, it's pretty easy to track which uh, which former yeah. players have the most kids with the most amount of uh, women. But uh, there we go. Those are our debuts for today. We're going to go ahead and let the ground crew come out, earn their paycheck, and we are going to head into, as I said, one of our uh, popular segments. It's Tales from the Dugout, where we're going to hit up a bunch of uh, smaller, shorter stories. And Mark, I'm going to have you go first, if that's good. Yeah, I I, um, really focused this week on not doing any stories on people that die um tragically <laughs> okay you put tragically on there because this being a baseball history podcast it works out that a lot of the, the people we talk about do in fact uh, have passed away or if they haven't they will at some point yes and yes. the amount of people we don't talk about because of what they have done since playing baseball is also pretty high yeah well you know what just real quickly i wanted to talk about uh this is episode 163 and in episode 153, I was doing the math and counting backwards, my amazing memory. Uh, we talked about a ball player named Tony Stone. You remember this? I do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, first female player on any team. She played for the Indianapolis Clowns in the uh, all-male Negro Leagues. Yeah, she took, uh, she took over for Hank Aaron. So what, a, what a spot to have to fill, right? For, so you're not only the first female to play, you're stepping up for the great future greatest slugger of all time 500 plus home runs 3000 plus hits yeah and he, we, you talked about the ups and downs and dealing with life as a as a, the only female player on on the team well i i was reading up on her a little bit more because i found her very interesting and you you did mention there was a play that was based on the life of tony stone so i found there is, it has been performed. It was taken up by a number of different theater houses. And then we got hit by that stupid uh, COVID thing. Oh, so, so this kinda, is a recent one. This isn't yeah, like no, no, Nanette. The, you right, know, no, the, this is very recent. Um, like I found it's being performed at a couple different places or has been performed in 2022. So it's getting out there. And I just wanted to throw it out there so our listeners could be on the lookout for it. It's gotten amazing reviews, very well written. Uh, it was written by playwright Lydia Diamond, who is a very popular playwright, especially in the Atlanta area. Not um, related to Neil Diamond? 
Not that I'm aware of, um, but it certainly didn't say anywhere I looked. So I'm going to guess no. Okay. It's, uh, it has nine actors in it. That would be the nine ball players. The one lead is, of course, Tony Stone, who is the one female in the, in the play. I'm going to be on the lookout for it. And if anybody hears that it's going on somewhere, hey, let us know. Or if you see it somewhere, uh, go check it out because it's it's going on. It's happening. Different theater houses are putting it on right now. And you can go look at something Two Strike Noise talked about come to life. It'd be kind of fun, don't you think? Yeah. So that'd be interesting if anybody if anybody sees that. Uh, I'd like to like to hear about that. Uh, as I said, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit more about Addy Joss, who made his debut today in 19, uh, 1902. His nickname was the Human Hairpin, which I had not heard before. It's because he was very tall and skinny. I guess they thought that was clever back in the day. The uh, future Hall of Famer threw two no hitters and the fourth perfect game in Major League Baseball history. He had a very unique windup, which is similar to. I'm going to throw some names out there that'll probably describe his windup uh, to listeners of this podcast, similar to Louis Tiant and Fernando Valenzuela, where he would actually turn his back to the batter in the middle of his windup. Gotcha. October 2nd, 1908, Joss tossed his perfect game against the White Sox, but it was a close game. Usually perfect games are, you know, the only real tension is, is it going to be a perfect game or not? Final score was one to nothing. It was against future Hall of Famer Ed Walsh, who threw a gem of his own, only giving up four hits and one unearned run. So I've got the uh, box score here open in front of me. Uh, In front of a crowd of only 10,000, it took place at League Park, the Cleveland Naps at that point. The game took an hour and 40 minutes. I like it. <laughs> I'm all over that. <laughs> uh, Nap Lajaway was still on the team here, even though they were named after him. He went one for three. The uh, the perfect game, only three strikeouts for Addy. That bumped his record up to 24 and 11. The loss by Ed Welsh bumped his record down to 39 and 15. <laughs> so <laughs> they were uh they were pretty good uh, that year wow. was uh, yeah. was the <laughs> were the White Sox. Uh some other things about uh, Addy during the 1908 and 1909 off seasons he worked designing an electric scoreboard that would later become the known as the Joss indicator. Whoa. That, yeah, I know. This is cool. So, well, it's, at least this is cool to you and I. The Naps decided to install the scoreboard, which allowed spectators to monitor balls and strikes at League Park, as well as showing the lineups for both teams on either side of the ball and strike indicator. So, Mark, you and I, we both owe our livelihoods to Hall of Famer Addy Joss. How about that, Addy Joss? You know what? I need to, I need to put, up, uh, put up some kind of something in honor of Addy out on the scoreboard. Yeah, too bad the Mariners are not home today when when the show is on. (laughs) Oh, today when the show is on, yes, that's right. Uh, So Joss never made it to the World Series during his career, but he became known as an extremely talented and very popular sports writer, especially for his coverage of the World Series. This, again, is during his playing career. His team, (laughs) Cleveland, never made it to the World Series during his time, so he would go and cover it, and he was very good at it and a very well-respected and popular sports writer. Joss is the only pitcher, other than Negro League stars, in the National Baseball Hall of Fame who had a career that was shorter than 10 years, which one of the 
few things that you have to do to get into the Hall of Fame is have played 10 championship seasons. So they, they kind of got around it because his final year, he went to spring training, but he didn't play that year. So they kind of made a, a little concession because he was uh, such a great player to get him in there. He succumbed to tubercular meningitis at the age of 31. So he was still playing, wasn't feeling good at the start of the season, and eventually passed away shortly after that. The first All-Star game ever was played as a benefit for Joss's family after he passed away on July 24th, 1911. The Naps invited players from all other seven American League teams to play against them. Visiting players that were included in this game were Home Run Baker, Ty Cobb, Eddie Collins, Sam Crawford, Walter Johnson, Tris Speaker, Gabby Street, because it's not a, a two-strike noise episode of Gabby Street or Gabby Hartnett aren't mentioned, and Smokey Joe Wood. Wow. That's all. I mean, the respect that, you know, obviously he had to have that no kidding kind of turn out in the middle of the season come to play a game for a benefit wow. is uh, incredible 1978 as i mentioned the veterans committee kind of got around that minimum 10 10 seasons played rule to elect him into the hall of fame 67 years after his death so addy joss uh hall of famer he died at the age of 30 uh he died two days actually after his 31st birthday just uh, another career cut short. Uh, 160 and 97 was his lifetime record. Led the league in ERA twice. Ended up with a 1.89 career ERA. An all-time best career whip of 0.968 for a starter. Under one, <laughs> a st- under one whip starter. for a starter. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean that that is incredible. Uh, strikeouts uh, 920 in 2,327 innings. Yeah, so there you go. Addy Joss, somebody that both Mark and I uh, owe our livelihoods to. Let's hear it for Addy. Uh, just real quickly, I, I, I wanted to ask, do you remember when Manny Ramirez tried to sell his grill on eBay? Do not, but I would have bid on it. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people did. This was 07 and it was spring training and his neighbor came up with the idea. Hey, help me sell my, my grill here. Oh, so we're talking like a barbecue. I was assuming you meant like a grill, like (laughs) teeth. No, I'm sorry. Like a barbecue gas grill. Oh, see, I was just about to make a joke about mistakenly thinking this was about a barbecue, but joke would have been on me then, huh? They were selling a barbecue, a gas grill. Uh, He was helping his neighbor sell it on eBay. They started it at $3,000. Uh, at one o'clock on a Tuesday, and by uh, midnight, it had reached ninety-nine million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. And so eBay stepped in and went, "What is going on?" And they shut it all down. Basically, they said he couldn't prove they couldn't prove that it was really Manny that was selling it, uh, even though there was a video. It said uh, they said the, the listing violated the listing policy, and as a lister, you have to be mindful of this policy. So right next to the uh, picture, he had written up, hi, I'm Manny Ramirez. I bought this amazing, all caps, grill for about $4,000 and I used it once. But I never have the time to use it because I'm always on the road. I would love to sell it and you will get an autographed ball signed by me. Enjoy it, Manny Ramirez. So I can see why. I can see why. I mean, he's playing it off like that's his grill, but it's his neighbor's. 
Right. It was just his neighbor's. He was trying to do he was trying to do a nice thing for his neighbor, but uh, did violate the policy. I don't know if you're going to spend ninety nine million dollars on a grill. You might as well get someone to throw in an autograph Manny Ramirez ball. <laughs> he wore number ninety nine after he left the Red Sox, right? <laughs> I think he did, when he went yes. when he went to L.A., I think he he wore number ninety nine. I think when he, when the, he was playing in the minors with the A's, he wore ninety nine. And I think he wore 99 when he was playing in, it was like Thailand or something. I don't I don't think it was Taiwan, and I don't think it was Korea, but wherever he was playing in Asia, I think he wore 99 as well. One of, one of the playful offers uh, offered was for $5,111.11, a reminder of the 51.11 million the Red Sox offered for the rights to negotiate with Daisuke Matsusaka instead of him. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Well, I still would have rather seen him sell some false teeth i would like to have a nice grill that you know manny's neighbor had <laughs> all right so i got two uh, two things one here is a little bit shorter than the other one before we get into wax packs heroes now uh, as as i mentioned earlier today during uh, debuts and i seem to mention every podcast that we do uh, i like to talk about sabrina the teenage witch uh, <laughs> I, I, I think i've seen a total of maybe three episodes of the show itself uh, but I am obviously well aware of it. I, being a man of a certain age, certainly remember Melissa Joan Hart from my uh, from my youth. But I've gotten some questions about exactly what players have appeared on Sabrina the Teenage Witch that I keep referring to, or as we will now uh, from here to forth call it S T T A W or STA, which is what the kids these days call it. Yes, but good call. As far as I can tell. There were three major league players, and I'm hoping there were more, but I just haven't found them yet, that did actually appear on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. There's Mark Langston, who tends to be the one that we talk about all the time as being on the show. Two others, Steve Sachs and Brady Anderson, also appeared mm. on the show. So Steve Sachs appeared in an episode entitled Sabrina the Matchmaker, where he played baseball player. That's that's all, all it <laughs> describes it as. Now, as I was looking through the cast for this episode, uh, Nick Bakay, Bakay, I don't remember how you say his name, who uh, is a big sports fan and does a lot of things in sports as well as being an actor. He voiced the cat Salem on the show. Oh. And I just, just I just thought the cat's name was Salem. I know Nick Bakay is a big baseball fan. And looking here, uh, he is credited as voicing Salem Saberhagen, the cat. <laughs> nice. And I'm like, oh, he had, because I think he wrote a lot of these shows, because he's a writer, too. I went and looked, though. Salem Saberhagen has been the cat's name ever since he first appeared in the uh, Archie comics way back in the 60s or 50s. So oh. that is not a reference to Brett Saberhagen. Unfortunately, oh, I would I was, have thought that too. I, sure. I immediately thought that, but some other uh, some other people that appeared in this episode: uh, Frankie Munez, Emil Hirsch, and for all my Lizzie McGuire uh, fans out there, Haley Todd appeared in this episode as well. Which uh, <laughs> they were just guests here. Uh, so then I had to look up the other guys and and what they appeared in. So Mark Langston appeared in an episode to tell a mortal, where uh, he played himself. I don't know what happens in this episode. Drew Carey apparently is in it as well. And then the Brady Anderson one really piqued my interest. Again, 
just says Brady Anderson as Brady Anderson in an episode called Sabrina Through the Looking Glass, which also had Paul Feig guest star in it, who is a big time director and directed a lot of episodes of The Office. So there you have it. That is when you ask about why do I always uh, say that? I, I, I got to find out if, if they were on this show or not. All right, so my final thing I wanted to talk about this week is last week I talked about the story of how Frank Sinatra spent some time helming the Cubs during a spring training game in 1968. Well, I want to talk about another person that managed and shouldn't have been for a very short time back in 1977. So the start of the season, Atlanta was not good in 1977. They lost 16 straight games at one point. They were already a month into the season 15 and a half games out of first place. Ed Turner is the owner at this point, <laughs> and he was not happy. As you can expect, he wouldn't be with a team that's that bad. And uh, probably wasn't going to get any better. The Hammers were headed into Pittsburgh with an 8-22 record to take on the Pirates, who were 20-7 and seven at that point. Turner decided that uh, his current manager, Dave Bristol, needed to take some time off. He didn't want didn't want to fire him. He just thought, hey, we're a month in. You probably need a, a couple of days off. So he sent him on a scouting trip that night. I don't know what he sent him to scout, but he said, go have a Coke and a smile. Don't be at the stadium tonight. So you might think with the manager gone, maybe the bench coach would take over. Pitching coach. Bat right. boy. No. no. It, it was the owner. Turner put on jersey and headed to the dugout. So during batting practice, Turner is mingling with the players and the press on the field. At one point, he goes up to the night starter, who happened to be Phil Necro at that point, and asks him, hey, Phil, uh, where do you want to bat in the uh, in the lineup tonight? So <laughs> Necro suggested that the nine hole would probably be the best place to put his uh, put his big stick. Yeah. Turner admitted he didn't actually do anything but make jokes on the bench during the game. Uh, he did put on a bunt and a steal once or twice, but he had to relay it to somebody else who actually knew the signs to get that information out there. Negro ended up throwing a complete game, so there was no need to go out to the mound to make a change. But the Bucks did come out on top thanks to a Dave Parker home run. The final score was 2-1. to one. Turner was planning on staying as the manager for 10 games, but after his first one, he received a telegram from National League President Chubb Feeney saying that that's enough. Do you think Chubb <laughs> Feeney was a slim man or not? Uh, you never know. It could have been one of those, uh, we name him the opposite of what he looks like. Yeah, it could be. I get the feeling it wasn't. Though. Like tiny, you know? <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling that Chubb might have had some heft to him. I'm not sure. We're not, we are not body shaming. I'm just saying. No, no. All right. So Feeney pointed out rule 20E, which basically says that no manager or player is allowed to own any part of the club that they are playing or managing for. This rule was actually enacted, I'm not joking you, the day after Connie Mack retired as the owner-manager of the Philadelphia Athletics. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Turner was unimpressed with uh, the the telegram and, and this rule saying, quote, if I'm smart enough to save $11 million to buy the team, I ought to be smart enough to manage it. I, I mean, just being a baseball fan for this amount of time, uh, you don't have to be smart to be a baseball manager. <laughs> yeah, well, we've discussed uh, Maury Wills uh, and his yeah. managing styles in yes. the past. I mean, being sober helps, yeah. but it is not yeah. apparently a requirement. 
Atlanta broke their losing streak the next day, but they ended up losing 101 games that year. Dave Bristol was permanently fired at one point. The next skipper to take over, Bobby Cox, who only had one winning season in his first stint with Atlanta. But of course, he took over the reins in 1990 again and led the team to five National League pennants in a World Series in 95 and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2014. Yeah, Bobby Cox stuck around a while, I think. Yeah, I think he was uh, pretty good. I was looking at the uh, the box score here from this game that uh, that he managed some good names in here for the uh, for the Hammers. Cito Gaston and Tom Pachorek were on that team. I said Phil Necro, Jerry Royster started at uh, at shortstop for the Pirates. I mean, they still had. Uh, let's see, this was before. Yeah, uh, 1977. Is that that's just before the We Are Family or just after? Um, yeah, they were 79, I think. All right, so just before you've got Dave Parker and, and Pops, Willie Stargell there, Phil Gardner at third base, Rich Gossage, the Goose came in and got the save, one out save, <laughs> and uh, yeah, interesting. But uh, Ted Turner, one game here on Baseball Reference. So uh, there you have it, Ted Turner. Very, very short stint as the manager of your Atlanta Hammers. But all right, Mark, that'll do it for our tales segment here. It is time now to head into everybody's favorite part of the show. A little bit different today. So last week, I wanted to congratulate you once again. You were crowned the three-time defending Wax Packs Heroes champion. Yeah, I'm still trying to wade through all of the uh, telegrams congratulating me, but... uh... (laughs) Telegrams? Yeah, so we are going to... We're not ready to start a new season yet, but I did make notes several times uh, as I was waiting for you to to close it out (laughs) 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 that uh, we wanted to do some new rules, as we generally do as we go on to a new season. So uh, we've put together some new rules. We're going to play an exhibition game today and see how it goes. We might we might tinker a little bit before we start the next season. This is how we're going to do it from here on uh, out, at least starting today. So a lot of the rules are going to remain the same. Anything on the face, you're going to get bonus points for. That means glasses. We're going back to the mustaches. If you've got a mustache... That's good. Eye black, glasses, cigar, anything. You fake beard like you're uh, you're playing it for the House of David. Plus ten, uh, plus a tenth of a point of war. Uh, if you do have a good mustache, we we do have the ability to add an extra tenth of a point onto that. We're still doing real stirrups as plus a tenth of a point. The two and ones are a minus tenth of a point. Sweatband still the same. Caricature jersey number. You get an award. That's a good thing for that year, so it's going to help you out. Uh, We're each going to pick a team, which offers the ability to minus points. We're going to stick with that. And the Hall of Fame bonus for a whole point. But we've got a couple of extra things we're going to add in here. If you are wearing a batting helmet that has two flaps or no flaps, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point. Uh, If you played any of your final three seasons for the Seattle Mariners... Let's, you're going to get a tenth of a point for every season of your last three that you played for the Mariners. Beautiful. That's, that could be a big point getter, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. 
And then finally, I felt like we needed to do something with Ricky or Nolan because those are being our favorite players. Those they're Hall of Famers. We need to really kind of supercharge them. So if either of us pull a, a Ricky or a Nolan, it's going to be worth five entire points of war. Now, if you pull a Ricky, I get five points. If Yikes. I pull a Nolan, you get five points. Or or Beautiful. I can subtract five from mine. It doesn't matter. But just saying, I am all Ricky. You are all Nolan. We're going to supercharge it. All right. I'm all for that. So with that being said, Mark, let's jump right into this week's episode. Uh, it might be, a, I've got to record a new open for all this too. So there's a lot of work coming up here. But uh, let's go back. We're going to go back to Don Russ. Uh, we're going to go back to these gifted cards from uh, from uh, Jeff Shamrock, who we hope is feeling better. These are some 1990 Donruss cards. Uh, they do have 16 cards in here. These were really a good value. So we're going to lose six cards on each of them. Mark, I got one in my left, one in my right. Which one would you like? Uh, the right, please. Right. All right. I'm going to have you go first. Uh, what would you like to lose? The top or bottom six? You can ditch the top six. Ditching the top six. Okay, that's a bold move. It All is, right. it is. All right, get rid of that. So you are going to lose Pat Sheridan. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we need to pick a team first. Uh, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Royales. Kansas City Royales. I am going to then just, of course, why wouldn't I choose the, I'm going to choose the Expos. The Montreal Expos. All right, so you're going to lose Pat Sheraton of the Giants, Jerry Brown, the governor of Cleveland, Billy Hatcher at this point with the Bucks, Jim Archer of the uh, Blue Jays, who hit Ricky with a pitch in the playoffs in 1989, RJ Reynolds of the Bucks, and Kevin McReynolds of the Mets. So, oh, I can live with that. Yeah, so K-Mac there might have been the best player. All right, so you're going to start off with an all-star card, one of my favorite players of all time. I'm jealous here, Eric Davis. <laughs> yes, outstanding. I was asked uh, just this last week, hey, is Eric Davis in the Hall of Fame? And I said, boy, if he could have kept healthy. Yeah, Eric the Red, 17 years in the big leagues. I mean, that's a pretty long career. But yeah. looking at this, of those 17 years, only nine of them did he manage to play in more than 100 games. Yeah, that's just that's his unfortunate, uh, uh, the way that things were for him. Actually, only eight. Only yeah. eight. 1993, wow. uh, he split time. So only eight years did he play more than 100 games. Uh, let's see. These are 1990. So no awards that year. He did get some MVP votes. Ended up hitting 260. 24 home runs, 86 RBI, 21 stolen bases, only caught three times. Wow, look at this. For his career, 349 stolen bases. He was only caught 66 times. That is uncanny. That is a great percentage. Uh, let's see, wow. 347 on base, a 123 OPS plus, and all of that equals a 3.3 war. Eric Davis has got some sweatbands on there. Unfortunately, they are not caricature. It just says Franklin. Hmm. I, I had to I had to look at that pretty close. Uh, let's see. He does have a mustache, though. A little wispy one. So you'll get that. I cannot see any stirrups. Yeah. So uh, you're going to get a 3.4 out of that. But that's not a bad start. And you got an Eric Davis card. So did not play for the Seattle Mariners at any point. <laughs> 
No, I'd remember that one. Uh, nor did he appear on uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And if, uh, of course, uh, had to pay his own way home from the hospital after winning the 1990 World Series in Oakland. Because Marge shot sucks. All right. <laughs> Next. Marge. Oh, wow. This is you off to a really good start here. You've got possibly one of the greatest third basemen for the New York Mets ever. It is Hojo Howard Johnson. Solid switch hitter with power. Just a, a hint when you type in uh, his name into Google, make sure you put baseball after it. Unless you're looking to make a reservation. Uh, Hojo, yeah, what a uh, good good career. 14 years in the big leagues, came up with the Tigers, won a World Series with them, and then won another World Series with the Mets in 86. 1990, sandwiched between two all-star years. Uh, let's see, a 244 average, 23 home runs, 90 RBI, 34 stolen bases, wow. 319 on base, and a 106 OPS+. plus. The next year, in 91, he led the league in home runs and RBI. Wow. Really, just a great player. And in 1990, that equals a 2.4 war. Uh, he does have a mustache on, so that'll bring it up to 2.5, but nothing else there. I'll take it. Yeah, that's 5.9 after two players. That's uh, pretty good. Also, uh, you know, we should probably mention he was a major league eating champion at one point with eating ribs, which I am making right now. And he didn't invite any of us over, folks. No, he didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. All right, next you have got, oh boy, this must be a rookie card. Yep, it is. A very young looking Dean Palmer of the Texas Rangers. (laughs) I'm not sure you're going to get a lot out of this seeing as how it's his rookie card, but let's see. Uh, yeah, well, you're going to get nothing out of it, actually, because uh, he came up in 89 and played 16 games, and then he did not appear again until 1991. So nice. uh, 92, he led the league in strikeouts with 154. 14 years in the big leagues for Dean Palmer. He hit 275 home runs over his career and ended up with a career 107 OPS plus. I don't remember a lot about Dean Palmer, to be honest. I, I remember, remember he did hit some home runs. Yeah, he was a powerful third baseman for the Rangers. All right, so you're at 5.9. Next, you've got one of your favorites of all time, and he's wearing glasses, and he's got a mustache. It is outfielder for the Houston Astros, Glenn Wilson. Glenn Wilson? You mean Glenn Davis? Nope, I mean Glenn Wilson. So he probably wasn't one of your all-time favorites, but... Uh, but it is Glenn Wilson. Yes. Now, uh, we might give him an extra point for having his eyes being so far apart in this picture. Uh, that is not a flattering picture, and they I'm, should have done better. I don't know if it's the picture, man. <laughs> uh, let's see. 1990 was Glenn's final year in Houston. Ten years in the big leagues. He hit 245, 10 home runs, 55 RBI, a 293 on base, and an 83 OPS+. plus. All of that equates to a 0.2 war one day. But you are going to get some points out of this. Uh, unfortunately, he is wearing the two and ones, but he is not wearing any batting gloves. That's one of our new rules. So that cancels those out. He does have a mustache and glasses on. So you will get an additional two tenths of a point. So that'll be a positive plus 0.4. But we did have one of the new rules come into play there, which is good. There you go. Now, looking at uh, his career, he, his last season was 1990 for two years. He came back actually in 93 and played a little bit. Otherwise, I would have gotten the Seattle Mariners 1988 <laughs> that he was on. But that's not so when he retired. So close. Yes. So close. Next, uh, wow, 
you are cleaning up with these uh, these players here. You've got Chris Sabo, third baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. Another one of my favorites, huh? I love when he gets drunk. Uh, he's a great speaker when he gets drunk. Um, <laughs> I've heard rumors. <laughs> I would play the, the, the audio again, but we've already done that. Uh, Spuds, in 1990, good news for you. He was an all-star this year. Nine years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see. In 1990, he hit 270, uh, 25 home runs, 71 RBI, 25 stolen bases. I believe he won the World Series this year. Also made a drunken speech at the celebration. And overall, a 119 OPS plus. All of that equals 4.2. He was an all-star, so that's 4.7. Uh, he's got real stirrups, that's 4.8. And of course, he's got those uh, rec specs on. So that'll be a 4.8. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, I know we've gone over him recently. He is the, uh, I th- currently, or at least he was just the uh, head coach at University of Akron. Not That's sure right. if he's still there or not, but we've talked about that before. Now, uh, your next card is a checklist, so I like that. That doesn't help you at all. No, it does not. No. Thanks a lot. Next, you've got a Cubs pitcher, Mike Bilecki, which if you can spell his last name, I would probably give you an extra tenth of a point. Let's see. Uh, Mike Bilecki, 14 years in the big leagues. None of it with the Mariners. 1990, he spent with the Chicago Cubs, went 8-11 with a 4.93 average. Started 29 games. Uh, appeared in seven more out of the bullpen, 168 innings pitched, 103 strikeouts for an 83 ERA+. plus. He received Cy Young votes the year before. All of this equates to a war of positive .3. He does have two and ones, however, so that'll be only a positive Ugh. .2. All right. Next, oh, my God, you got a Hall of Famer. This is actually a pretty good pack for you. Uh, Hall mm-hmm. of Famer here listed as a first baseman. Somebody that may have coined the phrase, the Mendoza line, we're not sure. It's George Brett. Yeah, him I remember. He got a few hits in his career, I think. Yeah, you don't need to type in baseball after you put in his name in a, in a search. No. 21 years, every single game of it with the Kansas City Royals. 1990, he received MVP votes, but was not an all-star. Over his career, he was an all-star 13 times. In 1990, he did lead the league at age 37 with 45 doubles. And, of course, by sitting out the final game or two, uh, beat Ricky Henderson for the batting title with a 329 average. I'm not bitter. 14 home runs, 87 RBI. And that equates to a 153 OPS+. Plus. And that will get you a 4.1 war. Of course, he is a Hall of Famer, so that'll be 5.1. He's got real stirrups and is not wearing any batting gloves. And he's got eye black on. Wow. Of course he does. So, yeah. I mean, this is this is the kind of player that we love on this podcast, which is why he gets all these extra bonus points. So that'll be a 5.3. That'll get up to 16.6. You've got two cards left. Your next one is a pitcher for the Minnesota Twins. It is Mark Guthrie. Mark Guthrie. Wait, I'm trying to remember. I remember him in Strat. I think he was a pretty decent pitcher. Uh, just before I forget, uh, you did pick the Kansas City Royals as your team. Oh, there you so, go, George Brett. So, yeah, you get another half a point there for uh, for George Brett. Of course, being on the Royals. That'll pick up to 17.1. Uh, Mark Guthrie. Spent 15 years in the big leagues. 
That's a good career. He's played for a lot of teams. The Twins being the one that he played with the most. He played for seven years in the Twins pinstripes at that point. 1990, his second year in the big leagues, he went 7-9 and nine with a 3.79 ERA. That's not bad. 144 innings pitched, 101 strikeouts, a 110 ERA plus, and that equals a war of 2.8, plus he's got real stirrups in there, so that'll be a 2.9. All right, quick quiz for you. See, Mark Guthrie pitched in 765 games over 15 years, and he never threw more than maybe 69 innings or 71 innings in one season. Can you guess which arm he threw with? Uh, I'm going to say he's a lefty. <laughs> he's a Just lefty. guessing. He, he was, and he pitched forever. Mark Guthrie, also a bassist for the band The Supernaturals. That hmm. is 100% not true. Uh, apparently, there is a Mark Guthrie who was their bassist, but not this Mark Guthrie. Okay, well, you got my hopes up. Yeah, <laughs> that was going to be an extra half a point. All right, so you're down to your final card. You are at 20 even, and your final card is one of the guys that I always liked as a member of the Oakland Athletics, Felix Jose. Oh, one of my favorites. Felix Jose, he's got real stirrups here. Well, that's good. Uh, ended up playing 11 years in the big leagues. Also, it's weird to see a, a baseball reference page where in the middle of his career, he spent a year in Mexico, a year in Korea, came back. Then the next year went back to Korea and then continued playing two more years in the big leagues. Wow. But for you, weird. 1990, you're in luck. He played the entire season in the United States, which is what we're looking for. He split time between Oakland and St. Louis. Of course, he was dealt to the Cardinals in the Willie McGee deal. Overall, his complete total for that year, a 265 average, 311 on base, 11 home runs, 52 RBI, 12 stolen bases. And that equates to a 97 OPS+. Plus. And that is a 2.0 even war plus the real stirrups. So that'll be a 2.1. Not bad for Felix Jose. Felix, uh, good all-around ball player, had some power, switch hitter. Really, really fun to watch, too, sometimes. He, he's kind of guy that would go for the extra base whether he was going to make it or not. And a lot of the time, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was inducted into the Dominican Republic Hall of Fame. So he's got that. And in 2017, Jose was selected as a coach of a show called America's Next Top Baseball Players, a reality wow. TV series in the Dominican focused on finding undiscovered raw talent. I would watch the heck out of that show. Interesting. I would 100% like to see that show. Uh, but there you have it. So you ended up with a 22.1. I think that's, that's, a, that's solid. That is a pretty good score, I think, for a 1990 Don Ross. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to go ahead and open my pack here. You did well losing your top six cards. Yeah, so I was I, happy with that. I think I'm going to do the same here, and we'll probably be met with much different results, but we'll see how it goes. So I'm going to lose Jim Gott, Larry Sheets, Bobby Thigpen. That one might hurt. Uh, Ricky Horton. Doug Jones. Oh, see, I'm missing out there, there on the on the yeah. mustache right there. And finally, Hall of Famer Alan Trammell. Oh no. Ouch. Uh oh. Yeah, so that one's not good. All right, so here we go. My first card is a pitcher for the New York Mets, Jeff Musselman. Why couldn't he have been switched with Alan Trammell? Jeff Musselman, former Tacoma Tiger. 
All right, let's see. Jeff Musselman, five years in the big leagues. 1990 was his final year. He went 0-2 with the Mets with a 5.63 ERA in 28 games out of the pen. 32 innings, pitched 14 strikeouts, a 68 ERA plus. And that equates to a war of minus 0.2. So far, so good. Yeah, and there's nothing on this card that's going to help me out, so... I'm glad this is an exhibition game. I'm I'm just here. I'm swinging away. I'm, you know, just trying to get my timing down. You're just here so you don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. That is right. His middle daughter, Maddie, two-time gold medalist in water polo. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He is a vice president in the Scott Boris Corporation. Oh, wow. All right, next I have got, uh, here he's listed with the Yankees. I think we remember him probably most with the Reds. It's outfielder Hal Morris. Oh, yes. Let's see, Hal Morris, member of the uh, Reds World Series team in 1990. See, he came up with the Yankees. I did not know that. He spent his first two seasons, which were only 15 games apiece with the Yankees. Then in 1990 with the Reds, he hit 340. Came in third in the rookie of the year balloting, seven home runs, 36 RBI, 381 on base, and a 136 OPS plus. That is good for a 1.8 war, and nothing else on this card is going to help me out. It was going well there until I I got (laughs) to the... uh, Let's see, he uh, he was traded to the Reds with Tim Leary and Van Snyder for a minor leaguer, Rod Imes. Oh, okay. Never made it to the big leagues. Wow. Seems like kind of a lopsided trade for the Reds. But hey, when you're putting one over on the Yankees, I'm all for it. Wow. How Morris appeared on the cover of Wheaties at one point in his career. No kidding. (laughs) I'm wondering, was that a regional thing or or not? I don't know. Uh, The Yankees were considering him their first baseman of the future and thought about trading Don Mattingly to make room for him. Before wow. eventually shipping him to Cincinnati. Wow. Thought about dealing Donnie baseball. Yeah, they obviously thought high of him, named in the Mitchell Report. One of those guys. He didn't even have that much power. No, he didn't. <laughs> what a waste. All right. Next, I have got a pitcher for the Cardinals. It's Ken Daly. How many guys have, have two Ys in their last name? Not many. Um, no, I can't think of many. Let's see. Ken Daly was a left-hander pitcher, 11 years in the big leagues, none of it with Seattle. Uh, 1990 with the Cardinals, he went 4-4 four and four with a 3.56 ERA. That's not bad. In 58 games, 73 innings, 51 strikeouts, a 107 ERA plus, and that equals a positive .3 war. Does have real stirrups, but that's all it's going to be, so it'll just be a .4. I'm not really uh, getting big chunks of uh, yardage here with any yeah. of these guys. You're waiting for your Hall of Famers. Well, I'm actually trying to save those for the uh, for the regular season. Oh, I see. All right. Next, we've got a guy that was uh, on the A's postgame show just earlier today, and he has got double flaps on the helmet. It's Bip Roberts. Bip. Now, he's got the double flaps, which is awesome and gets me extra points, but he's also got the two and ones. So just wipes that out. But I'm excited to see that he's got the double flaps. 1990 with the Padres, pretty good year. He hit 309, a 375 on base, nine home runs, 44 RBI. He stole 46 bases and had a 122 
OPS plus. Never really had a whole bunch of power, but he could uh, he could definitely steal some bases. 264 in his career, 12 years in the big leagues, and in 1990, that is a 5.8 WAR. Whoa! 1990, he was playing uh, utility, infield, outfield, everywhere, and obviously playing it pretty well. Yeah, so he has got the uh, the double ear flaps, which is good. He's got the two and ones, which is bad, but he also has eye black on here, so that'll get me at least a tenth of a point. That'll take me. That'll give me a 5.9. That is a big chunk there for the Bipper. That's huge. That takes me up to 9.7. So actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just under halfway to you, and I've got six cards left. So I'm actually on pace here. We got a battle. All right, next, I've got the Moon Man. Now, this is great because I have got him dog-eared as a future episode because this guy was uh, quite a personality he has a very famous baseball card which is very poorly airbrushed by tops it is greg minton here with the angels greg minton played for a while he did and uh, he was uh, a bit of a goofball aka mooney or moon man he pitched for 16 years as a right-hander Pretty much exclusively out of the bullpen. So 1990 was his final year in the big leagues with California. He only appeared in 11 games, went one and one with a 2.35 ERA. That is good for a 166 ERA plus. And all of that equates to a war of a positive 0.4. He does have real stirrups on, uh, but he is not wearing his glasses in this picture, which he did have at one point. So that'll just be a positive 0.5. So we've talked about him before, and I don't want to go too much in depth because I want to do an episode on him. But the uh, the famous scene in Bull Durham where they turn on the sprinklers at night to flood the ballpark so they could have a day off and end the season. That is based on something that uh, that uh, Greg Minton actually did in his career. That's ah, nice. Freaking awesome. All right. Boy, this guy's uh, he used to be a staple of our show. Because he was involved in a lot of trades. Here he is with the Astros. It's pitcher Dan Schutzneider. Oh, yes. Dan Schutzneider. That is that's just not a fun name to say. Very yeah. But he is a lefty and he's a pitcher and mainly a reliever. So, of course, he was in the league for 15 years. Did not play for Seattle. In 1990, though, he did split time between Houston and the Mets. Overall went 1-3 with a 2.2 ERA in 51 games. That's not bad. 69 innings pitched, a 172 ERA plus, and that will equal a 1.2 war. Definitely has two and ones here, but he definitely has a mustache as well. So that that will uh, be a, a nothing there. So that'll get me a positive 1.2, though. I'm just chipping away here at your lead. Uh, we mentioned he'd been involved in quite a few trades. I think the first time we talked about him was when he was traded to Detroit from Montreal for Ron LaFleur when we did the Ron LaFleur episode. Uh, also involved in a lot of trades for minor leaguers throughout his career. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Next, we've got a uh, peculiar card. It is with the Tigers, Doug Strange. Doug Strange. I, I remember him being a pretty good pinch hitter. Let's see. Doug Strange, only nine years in the big leagues, but in 1996, he was with your Seattle Mariners. That is within the last three-year range, so That's I will right. get some points off of that. Uh, 1990, which is good because he 
was a rookie in 89 and then didn't appear again until 1991. So nothing there. Nine years in the big leagues, career 295 on base and a career war of 0.5. Let's see. He was traded to the uh, by the Tigers to the Astros for Lou Frazier, not hmm. the boxer. So that will just get me, what, did, what is the Mariners? Uh, just a tenth of a point for, for playing for the Mariners in those final three years. Theoretically, you can earn up to an additional point three if you play your final three years with the Mariners. Just That's right, you. yes. All right, next I have got one of your favorite players of all time. And he's an Astro. And I know Ooh. that I am 100% correct here because it is third baseman Ken Caminiti. Oh, man, Absolutely. Kenneth Gene Caminiti. I wonder if he got mad if you called him Gene. I don't know. He seemed like such a laid back guy. He probably just would say something like, actually, my name's Ken. Yeah, but I, do you think he maybe he ever had the roid rage? I don't know. No, no, never around me. That's all I can tell you. So let's see. 1990, good year uh, as usual. 242. Let me take that back. This was his worst year. <laughs> <laughs> 27 years old he hit 242 only four home runs 51 mm. rbis you know what i guess this goes to show looking at his early numbers in his career here not much either power or average and then all of a sudden in the mid 90s yes he is jacking a lot of home runs he's hitting a lot better and of course won an mvp in 1996 all of this, a 71 OPS plus in 1990 and a minus 0.2. And there's nothing on this card that's going to help me out any other way. And uh, Ken never appeared on uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. All right. Next, well, I'm going to get a, a duplicate kind of of yours. I have got Hojo again, but this is a Diamond Kings card. So he does have a mustache here and he's got real stirrups in this picture. So that'll help me out here. But beyond that... Uh, we're going to have to type in Howard Johnson baseball again. So 1990, we've already gone through the numbers and all of that gets me a 2.4. Plus, I'm going to get the two tenths of a point. So that'll be a 2.6 for me there. That brings me up to 13.9 with my final card left. What could it be? Well, here he is, a member of the Padres. He was actually also a member of the Mets, along with Howard Johnson in 1986. It is pitcher Calvin Schiraldi. Oh, Calvin. Or was he with the Red Sox at that point? I forget. I think he was probably with the Red Sox in 86, wasn't he? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, the Red Sox. He came, 84 and 85 was with the Mets. 86 was his first year with the Red Sox. Four, oh, we're not doing 86, though, are we? We're doing 90, where he went 3-8 right. with a 4.41 ERA. Not a good year. Boy, he's only 28 at this point. He only pitched for eight years. One more year after this, an 87 ERA plus, and all of that equates to a war of 0, 0.0. He does have real stirrups on, though. So <laughs> that'll get me up to an even 14, still way behind. So uh, I'm in mid-season form already. Well, you know, nice exhibition game. We didn't throw in anybody's heads or anything like that. No, you know, and it, except for the Ricky or Nolan Ryan, all of the new rules came into play. Yes, yes. So that was fun. Very but, nice. Yeah, there you go. You, you're the winner of the first exhibition game of this season, and you are in mid-season form, as we can tell. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to do it for this uh, edition as a whole. 
So if you cannot get enough of us, we are available to you through many outlets. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on Twitter, at Instagram. You can find us on Twitch, YouTube. You can find us in the show notes as well, because all of these are listed there, as well as our email address, Mark. Yes, that is Two Strike Noise, TWO Strike Noise at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Tales from the Dugga, and we will see you next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.